welcome to the voice of the child. Fabricated or induced illness, sometimes called Munchausen syndrome by proxy or medical child abuse, has divided experts, leading to criticisms by campaigners that child welfare professionals and doctors are accusing innocent parents of harming their children, but also missing cases where parents are genuinely compromising their children's health. Talia Dreyak and her family's story was reported by the BBC and the Daily Mail last year when she was accused of poisoning her daughter. The case against her was later dropped, but the impact of the process and how it affected her family means she now raises awareness about how FII is investigated and diagnosed. Tracy Norton is a volunteer at Legal Action for Women with a special interest in FII. She says the syndrome is sometimes used to remove children from mothers when there is no evidence that these mothers have made up their children's illnesses. Tracy and Talia, thank you for coming on to the programme. Hello, nice to see you again. Hello, thank you for having me. Pleasure. Talia, let's start with what happened to your daughter and how you came to be investigated for FII. Fair enough. Well, I went into the children's hospital with my daughter in February with a very, very poorly child um, who had had a fever and diarrhea. And we went from being treated and recovering in the HDU with a serious infection to being accused that There had never been any infection, and the only explanation the child protection consultant could come up with was that she had been poisoned. And that was incredibly shocking to be told that, to then be told that I could not leave the hospital with my daughter, that they wanted me to go away and I wasn't welcome at the hospital, um, and having to quite literally get on a plane and fly home because social work and the police were going to be showing up to my house where my other seven children, other six children lived, um, to investigate us. And it was an incredibly jarring experience because I'd been so grateful that she was well now to then have it turned around and it was all my fault. Just didn't line up with my lived experience of, of what had happened at all. And it made me doubt myself, and it made me feel very scared and anxious. And it was an incredibly tough experience because there was nothing... How do you prove a negative? How do you prove you didn't do something? Take us back for a moment to the first time you went into either a a doctor's surgery or, or the hospital, the symptoms that your daughter had, and the progression from there, how you got to the point of actually being accused of something. Well, my daughter, when she was four months old, she had started having some strange movements. And so I'd taken her into the GP and they had sent us to the children's hospital where they had suggested that it may be epileptic. So she was put on epilepsy medication. And from there she developed significant reflux. And every time her epilepsy medication was put up, her reflux got worse. And so this all sort of came to a head when In February, we went into the hospital and she'd had this bad gas bug and she was taken off of her epilepsy medication. And when we came out of the HDU, her reflux had resolved. And so on top of being accused of poisoning my daughter, they concluded that I must have been making up her reflux and making up the symptoms that they diagnosed as epileptic. I'm going to go to Tracy now and just ask her for some backgrounds um, on FII. Tracy, tell us a little bit more about what what FII is and and your concerns around FII. 
Yes, thank you. Um, FYI is something called fabricated and induced illness, and it's classed by the NHS as a rare form of child abuse. Um, and they say it occurs when a parent, and it's usually the mother, exaggerates or deliberately causes harm um, to cause illness in their child. Um, and they say it's because of the mother might want to has anxiety, she might want attention, or in actual fact, she might want um, financial gain. Um, and it can be result in not only once you're accused of, of a child being listed on the child protection letter, but even worse, the child can also be taken into care and in some cases adopted. And alongside that, quite often a, a mother will have a criminal investigation running alongside. And, and for people who don't understand what fabricated and induced illness is, it is something that used to be called Munchausen's by proxy. And the reason the label has changed is because this label was brought to our attention by what we now know as a discredited doctor who used the form or used the new label F uh, Munchausen's by proxy in the way of, of endearing himself to family courts and uh, criminal courts and, and having multiple children taken away from their children from their mothers and those mothers being arrested and um, jailed. Um, the, the, the doctor in question is uh, Professor Roy Meadows. He's now highly discredited. Um, allegations of fabricated and induced illness against parents are actually on the increase by not only councils, um, but also um, by doctors. Um, and it's clear that they're on the increase by councils who are trying to avoid paying for what often is um, special needs in children. And I, I think something that I, I quite often talk about is Section 17 of the Children's Act, which states quite clearly that local authorities must put support and financial packages in to support families of children with disabilities or special educational needs. However, if they are then accused of FII, the local authorities then do not have to provide these financial packages. So here you can see a clear incentive of why FII is being used. Um, and again, we also find under this a label of FII, that often the mothers themselves have some form of disability and they too are targeted. Yet, under the CARE Act, they're actually entitled to support to look after their children. But instead, their conditions, which are often genetic, such as autism, ME, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, um, often their children are affected by the same conditions. But if these mothers are accused of FII and projecting their own, their own false illnesses onto the children, um, disabled mothers are now finding that they're having their own disorders taken away and instead being classed with a mental disorder and faking their own illnesses. And, you know, one sort of example of that is a mother I know who has a condition called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and she's in a wheelchair and she was accused of FII and her child was adopted because of this, but she has a genetic condition. 
I mean, the pattern that we are regularly seeing now with these cases, that there are three main groups of families who are targeted, but it's not exclusive to these families. And that is, as I've said, autistic children, children that have ME, and children that have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Now, these syndromes are lifelong and ex terribly expensive, both to treat in the medical field, but also they need expensive education and healthcare plans. And rather than treat these children, the cheaper option is to accuse a mother um, of FII. And then what the mother will find is that all medical and educational input tend to cease. And there have been several reported cases where it was claimed that illness was fabricated and induced for financial reasons. And by that, I mean that someone that has a child with even a minor disability is actually quite entitled to claim disability benefits. And so they claim the disability benefits and then it's seen as these mothers have made up these illnesses just so they can claim these disability benefits. I defy anyone to live on disability benefits. It's not enough money for people to live on. So, you know, the, the figures don't um, stack up. The thing that does concern me is, is, um, is once you're branded with FII, it's really, really, really hard to get rid of that label. Um, and it's, it's, it's used really by, obviously, in, in this lady's case and in other cases that I've, I've worked on and know quite well, to force parents, literally, to comply with either doctor's wishes, which might not be the same as, as the mother's wishes, or to force them to comply with local authorities' wishes um, for because they don't want to pay for expensive education and healthcare plans, and so they could provide cheaper services, uh, such as not having to place an autistic child in a special school by just accusing the mother of FII. And, you know, I've got many, many examples of, of families that we, we actually have heard um, from and have worked with, with regards to this. And I can tell you um, statistics of FII. It is sort of estimated, if you look on the NHS guidelines, that this FII, fabricated and induced illness, is an exceptionally rare disorder. And it's estimated that there are about 89 cases of FII in a population of 100,000 over a two-year period. However, if we looked at all the charities involved in these disorders and other charities like ourselves the, and, and talk to families and mothers, these numbers do not add up because we're getting a surge of numbers, a much higher surge than what is classed by the NHS as fabricated and induced illness. Tracy, you mentioned earlier that some of these women find themselves facing criminal proceedings in tandem with investigations. Are those yes. criminal proceedings in relation to um, claiming of benefits? Uh, they can have multiple. Uh, they can have a criminal investigation um, because they have, such as in this lady's case, been accused of poisoning their children when their children just have... Um, they have a, a situation where the doctors haven't 
quite got to the bottom of what's wrong with their children, when in actual fact what you'll find is they might be suffering from a rare genetic disorder. Um, and so the families are in, indicted criminally. And what we are finding is that um, when the parents often argue with the doctors in the hospital, instead of the doctors seeing a fraught parent who's upset because their child is sick and no one knows what's going on. They accuse the parent of FII and these families are there, can then be arrested and removed from the hospital. And so basically they've got away with the complaining upset parent is, is now out of the way. So as you said earlier, the statistics on FII suggests that the instances of this genuinely happening are, are very small. But we also yes. know that the, the statistics and also guidance on FII is still quite limited. There isn't a, a ro- is. there isn't a robust enough picture yet for us to really understand what's happening. That, no, there isn't. That said, uh, how easy is it at this time, given the, the gaps in guidance, for bodies like councils to use FII perhaps inappropriately in child protection cases? Very, very, very easily. And I could give you a few examples. I've got one mother um, whose child was autistic and was diagnosed by a top autistic specialist in the UK. And she applied um, to the local authority under Section 17 of the Children's Act for extra support for her child in school. And And this request was met with an immediate accusation of FII. Um, And consequently, that child wasn't going to get his special educational needs. Um, We've got um, other incidences where another mother that I know, again, applied because her child had disabilities, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And... Um, she had put in for a special educational needs package with the council and it was turned down so she put in an appeal which is her right to put in an appeal it's very often very difficult to get special educational needs packages on the first go so often parents immediately go to appeal two social workers turned up at her door and said if she did not drop her appeal they were taking her to court for FII and she found herself on child protection and all because she wanted the correct support for her child with a genetic condition in school and we are finding that it is absolutely an easy way for councils to put mothers on child protection they're not um, medically trained but they have been told about this FII and had some training in it and the and the use of really how to use it against mothers. Can I add something to that? Of course. I feel that when, when there is a disagreement between a parent and a doctor that's where there is a huge risk to a parent of being accused of FII because if your child might be having side effects from medication that a doctor prescribed, that doctor doesn't doesn't want that to be true, obviously, and it's, it's very difficult to have that conversation when the, the doctor is holding all the power. Not only do they have the ability to take care of or 
choose not to take care of your child, but they also have the ability that if they don't agree with your perspective or or your question, that they can turn around it and it's your fault. Well, I actually couldn't agree more. With the rise of the internet, mothers in particular have become quite savvy at looking up what's wrong with their children and finding the best solutions um, to help their children. And um, for a mother to question a doctor after they've looked something up on the internet is seen as a complete red flag. It is seen as someone who's definitely got FII symptoms. A mother who complains about a doctor is also seen as another red flag. And I can tell you of a case that I was involved in fairly recently where I was asked to attend a child protection conference as an advocate for this family. And in the room were about 10 doctors versus the family and social workers. And the chief doctor was the safeguarding doctor of a leading hospital. And this doctor proceeded to say this family have FII and they're making up all these symptoms and this is the case. And and, I, and we let her give her diagnosis. And then she, she started to state some real inaccuracies, which I called her on. And in calling her on it, I said, I said, can you explain to the social worker what you mean? Because this is actually the situation. And the social worker looked at the safeguarding doctor and said, well, is she right? Is that correct? Is that correct what she's saying? That's me as not the mother, as an advocate. The doctor was so embarrassed that she had to say she'd fibbed in this safeguarding meeting that she stood up after saying, yes, Mrs. Norton was correct, and stormed out of the room. And this is a child protection safeguarding meeting. And this is how it's used against parents. Now, had the parent been alone without someone else who could argue independently about this condition, the parent would have further been accused of FII because in FII, the more you talk about a condition as a mother, the more you're accused. I, of course, as an independent person, can talk about it and not be accused of that, which is why I was able to successfully challenge the doctor. But if the mother had challenged the doctor, she would have found herself in more serious trouble. Talia, your your case took a turn and the charges against you were eventually dropped. What happened at that point? Well... It took a very long time to get a hold of my child's medical records. And once we did, we were able to give them to independent medical experts. And the independent medical experts went through my child's medical records and could see that not only were the symptoms seen regularly in hospital, they were tested for and those tests had come back showing that my child had had these difficulties. I mean, I can't make up. EEGs and and barium swallows and MRIs and things. I'm not capable of that. Um, And so they were presented to the court and to the consultant who accused me. Um, Unfortunately, the consultant, the child protection consultant, maintained that their view was correct and all the medical experts and other people who knew my child were not correct. So the court had to apply to, well, they 
were told by the child protection consultant that there was another consultant that had been consulted with earlier and that this consultant would support their case and it would show how I had harmed my child. And so the court applied for this new expert report, which was meant to come back and and support their case. And thankfully, there are good and honest people. And this consultant's report came back negative towards the, um, the child protection consultant. And their case was, well, they withdrew their case because there was substantial evidence to the contrary. I did not harm my child. Did anyone try to find out why your daughter was suffering from symptoms in the first place and what had caused them? Not not really, no. I mean, FII is meant to be a diagnosis of exclusion. I think you're meant to look at all other possible causes. And that was, we, we asked many times about all sorts of different ideas we had um, regarding her illness. Um, and we were many times told that the child protection consultant didn't have time and that there were other things for them to, to, you know, that were more important. It was not important to look at all the other possibilities. Um, we were simply, well, we felt, I appreciate, I can't, I can't know exactly what happened behind the scenes, but I certainly felt like I was slapped with an FII accusation and and that was it job done you know there was no need to it was annoyance to have to prove it and and it was irritating that we kept questioning it and it was it was incredibly frustrating because there didn't seem to be much support for for investigating other possibilities two years on how is your daughter now she's brilliant She's doing really, really well. She is thriving. She's healthy. She's uh, really robust and cheerful and, and friendly little girl who thankfully seems to be thriving in spite of the really tough journey she's had. But this isn't the end of the journey for you, is it? Because after your case closed, you and your husband decided that you were going to take action. What did you do next? Well, we, we wrote complaints to the hospital which we did not receive satisfactory response. So we took our complaint once we finally got a response from the hospital to the SPSO, who upheld many aspects of our complaint. And we have also made a complaint to the GMC um, regarding the consultant that accused me. And um, yeah, we, we've tried to be reasonable, um, but it's it's really, difficult to know how to proceed because there is no guidance for how you rebuild your life after this. We were invited by the council to participate in a serious case review, which I think was helpful. And that certainly came out with a lot to learn from our case. Um, And we also were involved in the care inspectorate's um, review of our council. But there still seems to be a big gap because there's all these different systems working and tugging in what should be the same direction and they're all sort of pulling in their own direction as they all kind of point fingers and it feels like there should be a oversight body or something 
to look at how the judicial system works with the social work system, works with the hospital. But that's perhaps a discussion for another day. (laughs) Tracy, how do you feel about current government guidance on FII? And do you have any concerns around that guidance? I have terrible concerns around the guidance. I mean, as I said, it's based on a discredited doctor. I mean, that's the the first thing to say, which uh, is quite alarming that it's allowed to continue. And I really do think we need an urgent government investigation into the way that FII is being used, because there's very little information for people to go on. And there are certain bodies that are just championing the bit um, and at educating, they say, uh, doctors, social workers, judges about this condition, but they have a vested interest in it and it's not independent. And anyone who's gone through family courts will understand and realise that family court is based on probability and not fact and if the balance of probability is always going to fall in the favor of professionals talking about mothers now it's very rare and obviously in this case it's fantastic news but it's very rare to find another doctor that will come into court and stand up against a doctor when you've been accused of FII. So the majority of cases just continue to go through court because unlike criminal court, where you can subpoena witnesses, other doctors and nurses who you know have seen symptoms of your child in hospital to come into court, in family court, that's not the case. You can ask them to come and and speak for you, But if they don't want to stand up against another doctor, and the majority don't, then you have no way out. And the only way to change this is to have a a high-level government investigation into the misuse of FII. Talia, we're now starting to see medical professionals advocating for a broadening of the definition of FII to include something called perplexing presentations. What are perplexing presentations? I think perplexing presentations is anything that isn't immediately and obviously in the textbook, Um, which is really scary because, unfortunately, human bodies all behave very differently from each other. And so to assume that just because it isn't immediately obvious what symptoms might be caused by doesn't mean that it's made up Um, and it's incredibly scary that just because your child might present the symptoms that are not immediately obvious the default position is going to be to essentially sever the child from their family cause huge amounts of, of trauma to to all those not just within that immediate family but widespread because it affects the community, it affects the, the child's school and their, their friends, it, it removes them from their grandparents and their siblings, and they lose their pets, they lose their hobbies, they lose everything, all because they were poorly, and it wasn't easily understood. I think it's, 
important that we are willing to maintain curiosity and an open mind and a, a hefty dose of humanity when approaching child medical care because children, children especially, do not present symptoms as... They haven't read the book, and, and their symptoms aren't always as easily understood, in part because they can't tell us. A baby can't tell you why. When I brought my daughter into the GP the first time around with her funny movements, I was worried she might have a UTI because before she was born, I'd been told that she had a kidney problem. And I was told to watch for UTIs, but I didn't know what a UTI might look like. And I thought this maybe this almost like a flinching thing. Maybe she might have have a UTI. I didn't know, but I, I thought it was worth asking. But that asking led to two years that were very, very difficult, and then a year-long child protection case that felt like it was tearing my life apart, and and my children, because I asked a question. These child protection processes are hugely invasive, and they involve a large number of professionals, and they can, as you say, take an inordinate amount of time to complete. Tracy, could you give us some examples of how inappropriate child protection processes can cause harm to children and families, both in the short term and in the long term? Well, almost immediately that you're accused and you're perhaps taken to child protection first. Not always the case. You're sometimes slammed straight into family court. But if you're taken to child protection, what happens is your child's both medical and educational care virtually ceases because everything you say and do is just assumed that it's all not true. And as a, a mother, uh, such as this mother, the more you ask questions and the more you um, say that you're innocent and it's a medical condition and look, here's the paperwork, the more they look at you suspiciously because on the training slides for FII that go around the country, <laughs> one of the things that they say is that the more the mother talks about the medical condition, the more she definitely has FRI. It makes no sense. A mother will automatically question what is going on? What's wrong with my child? Look, here's this test. This test has proved this. But the more you say that, actually, the more guilty they find you. And, and, and that has a horrific um, emotional and mental trauma. Um, not just on the parents, as this lady was saying, but also on the child. In some cases, the children are separated from their mother. Sometimes when the children are still in hospital, sick, trying to recover from whatever it is. And, um, you know, there's a lot of research out out there about the trauma children face being separated from their mother but the added burden in FII if you can imagine being a child and knowing that you have this thing that makes you feel unwell you're not sure what it is but you feel unwell and you're telling the doctors you feel unwell and because you've done that your mother has either been arrested or you have put in, been put into foster care that trauma on a child is something that is not being looked at at all because that child is bearing the brunt 
of it saying I'm not feeling very well Look and look what's happened to its family. And it's something that's absolutely devastating beyond belief. For families, when your child, like my daughter was in hospital for nine weeks separated from me, before the social work investigation began looking at our relationship. So every report written on myself and my daughter happened after a nine-week period of trauma. Yes. And, and that's not the same as it was prior to that situation. But that's the new starting point. So then when, it's, when court is approached with social work reports, they say, oh, but this child, you know, his relationship with her mother looks like this. But that's a relationship that suffered a huge trauma and is not being supported at that time. Talia, your daughter was a, a toddler during this particular investigation. What did you see in your daughter that indicated to you that she was distressed by the process? She was, it was definitely hardest at the introductions and the partings. The beginning of contact is really tough and the end of contact is brutal. It is so hard to push your child into the arms of a stranger and and just have to trust that everything's going to be okay until you see them again somehow. It's incredibly hard when your child waits until they think there's a quiet moment to ask a question that they shouldn't have when they're only two years old. And now at the age of four, she asks questions that it'll be in the most peculiar situations, you know, just an everyday moment, and she'll ask, why weren't you there, mommy? And I don't even know how to respond. You know, she she sings this song, um, you know, about you are my sunshine, and she sings, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine, and please don't take my mommy away. She shouldn't sing that. Still now, she needs reassurance that I'm going to come back if I go out, that if she goes out, she's coming back. And she thanks me that she gets to live at mommy's house because we're still building the trust in her that this is her home and she doesn't have to leave it. No child should feel that way. And then she's not going to be taken away again. Yeah. How long was she in foster care whilst the investigations were ongoing? My daughter was out of my care for 360 days, but she was in foster care only for three months because my husband and I chose to to have him rent a flat so that he could have her return to his sole care while I remained at home with our other six children. Um, This allowed her to return to her dad's care, which was a huge plus because at least then she was developing a relationship with her dad and had the security of knowing she was with her parents. Um, but it was also very confusing for our other children because they were in one house and daddy was gone and, and their sister was gone and, and this was very confusing. Um, I'm only grateful that I have a really good relationship with my husband because if, if I hadn't married my best friend, I'm not sure how we would have gotten through that. Tracy, this is still a very grey area with a lot of information that still needs to be gathered. What do you think we could be doing to improve FII investigations? Um, well, first and foremost, I think FII should be taken off the table. I do believe there are the most rarest of cases where parents hurt their children. But while we still have a label, a misuse of a label such as FII, 
it leaves every parent, whoever complains or disagrees with a doctor, open to that accusation. And I don't believe that we should have such a label that any parent could have an accusation for. Uh, you know, if a, if a mother harms her child, a mother harms her child. That shouldn't mean that all mothers should be investigated for FII if they have questioned a doctor or if they feel the need to change doctors because believe you me changing doctors is a big red flag for fii you know we have the internet out there and we are allowed to choose what we want for our children and 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 so i think that that the only thing we can do is to have an urgent government investigation and to actually have the label fii removed um from child protection situations Talia, what would you like to see done by way of improvement in this area? Well, currently I do a lot of work as a parent advocate and I would very much like to see parent advocacy made a right that every parent should be allowed to have a parent advocate from the, the moment that any kind of local authority or, or not, frankly, you should be a, you should have the right to have a parent advocate at every educational meeting, at every social work meeting, at at any point, because parents do not have they don't have any support. And and like as Tracy was saying, if she hadn't been at that meeting, that mother there there would have been no recourse to the truth. You know, she wouldn't have had an opportunity to have the truth or, or facts presented, it, it just wasn't even important until Tracy stood up and said it. And, and that's vital. I, I would love to see a proper investigation into FII, but an independent one. This needs to not come from within and to seriously look at how many times are we getting this wrong? You know, how many times are is it unclear and so we, we just decide to, to make it happen even though we don't have the full facts you shouldn't be allowed to sever the ties between a parent and a child with a, it should have like criminal court it should be without and beyond a doubt it shouldn't be on the balance of probability because that's too long lasting that that's a person's identity it's their relationships you know I, I we don't have the death penalty anymore i think probably Adopting a child against a parent's consent is probably the most severe punishment we can give, and yet we can do that on the balance of probability. Tracy, how do we balance genuine cases against those which are not genuine? Well, actually, uh, as the mother quite rightly said, a family court is uh, based on the balance of probability. It's not based on evidence. So those cases that end up in family court often are fighting an uphill battle and they should be made just as it is in criminal court. There's, there's a couple of points here. First of all, we picket the courts every month and we do at the present a Twitter storm monthly because we can't physically in lockdown picket um, the courts. And we picket the courts for a, our main reason is to have the family courts open. And once the family courts are open to the public and press, it will have to become more like criminal court, where it won't be a balance of probability. Evidence is going to have to be brought in. 
Right now, if you're accused by a doctor, it is exceptionally difficult to get another doctor to come in and say they support you. However, if it was criminal court, if it was like criminal court, um, these doctors would have to be subpoenaed and their medical records subpoenaed. And, I mean, I know of one case where the child's medical records were asked to be brought into court and all the medical records mysteriously disappeared. But that didn't matter to family court because family court is not based on actual evidence. It's based on probability. And the real change here is to open the family courts and have family courts based on real evidence. And for medical cases such as FII, it is the only way to go, is to have it based on actual true and factual evidence, many of which are buried deep inside medical records that parents apply for to try and protect themselves, but are denied over and over again, or bits of it aren't sent to you on purpose, so you really can't defend yourself, because once an accusation is made, it's as if the authorities and the doctors don't want to put their hands up and say, you know what, I made a mistake here. They are always going to try and find a way of, of making you guilty. Mm-hmm.